should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome, welcome. Happy February 1st. It's the first day of the second month of 2017, or um, I guess uh, another day in doomsday. Another another day in the apocalypse. <laughs> That's the way that I'm feeling about things, and I know a lot of you are feeling the same way. Although, I really, really, really appreciate you know some of the uh, positive people, the people who just kind of keep it funny, keep it sane. Um, it's rough times out there for sure, and of course, I'm talking about what it's like to be living as a as a as an American under President Donald Trump. And uh, anyway, I'm going to leave it there. Of course, all of everything that we talk about applies to what's going on, and so that's what we'll do today. Let's get let's get today's program started. Today's show is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. It was rumored that today we might be hearing news as the president is attending a prayer breakfast that he could possibly be signing some executive orders that would rescind LGBT rights as it applies to uh, workplace protections. Um, but the biggest rumor, really, after they shut down that rumor in terms of re, uh, rescinding the executive order that President Obama had put in place in 2014 protecting LGBTQ uh, workers and federal contractors um, is that the, you know that 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 uh, there might be a something else proposed along the lines of religious freedom and uh, something like federal employees being able to discriminate against LGBTQ people. <sighs> and here we are again. Um, so I'm going to let out that sigh, and if we hear anything, of course, we will be right there tweeting and or Facebooking and doing all those things. So follow me um, at Ms. Michelle Meow on Twitter, or you can go to michellemeow.com. And, uh, and, and of course, we'll, we'll get thoughts on that as it proceeds. But hopefully there is no executive order that comes down. So during this time that we are organizing, we're fighting back, it, 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 we're also talking a lot to each other. And we might not have been talking to each other during these times. But what I'm talking about is, you know, we all of a sudden have a ton of opinions when we're coming together. It's natural. We're all really different people. I'm going to share a story, and it applies to our guest today who's going to talk about uh, their article on Truth Out. Um, but, you know, my experience yesterday is we hear these rumors about this executive order that could come down that will affect the LGBTQ community, I got asked to join this really long thread or group of uh, queer LGBTQ activists. And um, 
you know, the people who took the reins and created what will be a protest or rally in response to what the president could do had been the people who had been forming rallies and protests here in San Francisco for a really long time. And they are cisgender white gay men. A lot of people had a lot to say in terms of, well, if we're going to do this rally and we're going to truly be inclusive, we've got to think about what safety means to the trans community and why does it have to start at the Castro? It always starts at the Castro, which has become more white, more straight over the years. Some very, very valid concerns, by the way. And also, you know, why why do we have to call on the police all the time to protect us when the police don't necessarily keep transgender people safe? All of this came up and, uh, and people started to fight over how we're going to organize and that made me just concerned. And it, it also came back to this article that we're going to discuss today that was featured on Truthout titled Stop Hiding the T, Fighting the Stigmatization of Trans People. Let's welcome Misha Hader to the program. Misha, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's, um, it's a pleasure. And so what I was, I was getting at in this experience of organizing and, and coming together was that, you know, I, th- I got the feeling from some organizers who had been doing this for a long time, mainly white cisgender men, who, who really missed the point of what's important to the transgender community and then kind of forming some narrative as if, uh, you know, there's something wrong with calling for a different definition of safety. And it goes back to your article and talking about the fact that transgender people are stigmatized, even in the LGBTQ community. But now that we're also talking about some potential executive orders that fall under religious freedom or exemptions, Mm -hmm. the transgender community will be impacted first and most of all. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And um, thank you for, for bringing up these really important points. Um, the main thing I, I feel here um, is a question of visibility. So first of all, um, trans people um, are, are usually, we don't, we're visible at the outset. Um, there's a whole concept which is now being challenged as to, you know, whether we should even um, ascribe to it the idea of passing. Now, a lot of trans people don't pass or don't have the means to or just can't. And and so it brings up the point of safety that going out in public becomes a challenge and threat to our safety. Simply walking into the street, getting into a car or taxi, um, going to the grocery store. And, you know, that that is a very terrifying day-to-day reality for trans Americans. And um, and and that's coupled with the fact that understanding of trans identity and trans people is is very uh, weak among the general public. But also, um, Hollywood and the media have, for years and decades, enforced really um, destructive stereotypes of of transgender women, especially. And I, being a trans woman. Mm-hmm. Um, see that that you know we're we're often viewed as either ridiculous or um, even you know villainous, uh, malevolent, and those are those are really harmful stereotypes to be absorbed by by society and by people. Mm-hmm. And right now we're we're facing kind of a double uh, a double whammy because we have uh, we, we face 
high levels of social stigma. Um, and at the same time, we're facing legislative assaults um, from across the country, really, and in cities. And and so um, we're at and, and we're at a point where we don't know how to move forward as a as an LGBT community. We've often been pushed to the back when it came to um, lesbian, gay, and even bi rights because we were considered more controversial, more. Um, we would we would kind of sully the um, the image of the queer movement, and which is why frequently you've had leaders in the in the gay in the LGBT movement who've said, you know, now is not the time for trans rights in the past, and now really with where we are at with the right wing culture wars, um, with the passing of marriage equality through the Supreme Court. Um, we're next, and, you know, we are a very easy target for the right. And as you say, that safety is something that we experience. We have a fear of safety that's uh, both very uh, reasonable. We we are threatened, most trans women. Um, and, of course, it's different for trans men and trans women. Trans men suffer, too, and trans femme people. But trans women, um, most trans women I know have been uh, publicly harassed, insulted. I myself have faced that. Um, a lot of trans people have experienced violence. And the police is often actually impl- uh, implicated in uh, brutalizing mm-hmm. and discriminating against trans people. So, um, you know, we're assumed often to be sex workers, which is another stereotype. And um, not that there's, I believe, anything wrong with sex work, or, uh, sex work but just that that immediately exposes trans women to um, police um, brutality in a way that many other people don't face. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Uh, You know, I wanted to go back to just uh, visibility and how that applies Mm -hmm. to the stigma of the transgender community in Hollywood. I mean, you know, some people might be tuning in for the first time here on Progressive Voices Network, and and I hear a lot of people throw out, but, you know, Caitlyn Jenner came out. And and uh, an Amazon web series program like Transparent won several awards in which, it, you know, Jill Soloway, uh, who isn't trans, but part of the LGBTQ community, you know, have spoken up uh, very clearly and loudly. And so, you know, the transgender community is, is getting the, a lot of visibility, um, even mm-hmm. with someone like Laverne Cox uh, from Orange yep. is the New Black. Okay. What are your thoughts around that? So that's that's great. You know, I I. I disagree with Caitlyn Jenner on on many of her positions, uh, but there's no doubt that she's brought a lot of visibility to the trans community. Um, I think that Laverne Cox actually, you know, is is much more of for me an an iconic figure in the trans movement. Um, she has um, she has actually I feel she has a deeper understanding of what the broader trans community in this country experiences, unlike Caitlyn Jenner. Um, that's just based on, you know, their public positions. Um, I think this visibility is great. However, what what concerns me, and I touched upon it in my piece uh, for Truth Out, is that um, one of the mistakes people make is they think that trans issues are, are, are basically an entertainment or a, a boutique issue. That term was used. And, and it's actually very offensive because... 
we, the public sees, you know, shows like Transparent or shows Caitlyn, sees Caitlyn Jenner and says, okay, these are, these are people that, you know, they want to be referred to with the right pronouns and they're, you know, creating all this havoc on campus because of pronouns and, you know, we have to, which, you know, sadly is not what the reality for most trans people is like. Of course, pronouns and, you know, gendering us correctly and, and seeing us is, is important. But what happens is that the most visible trans people are usually, you know, more affluent than the average person, um, such as the case with Caitlyn Jenner or Laverne Cox, and they're more, you know, they're quote-unquote celebrities, but that's just a rule of life. that, And, and it's, it's used to attack minorities, and trans people are no different. Women face the same, black people face the same, you know. The more visible people in the community who have a chance to speak out um, are then discredited for being, well, these people are privileged, and, you know, they're, they're these snowflakes. And so the, we, we get caught in this catch-22 where visible trans people are usually more successful people, and then they're told, well, they can't speak for those who aren't. They, 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 the public says, okay, well, trans people are fine. But the reality is, you know, when we talked in this election even about unemployment, about health care, about you know, um, things such as violence. Um, trans people are murdered at a higher, trans women of color are murdered at a higher rate than any other group in the in the country, to my knowledge. Um, but trans people face shocking levels of unemployment and poverty and youth homelessness. Um, so these, you know, bread and butter issues, as they're called, are very relevant to the trans community. The problem is not addressing transphobia and just dealing with, like, unemployment is not going to help unemployment in certain communities, in certain communities that face stigma, such as trans people. And so that's, that's the, other, the other side of it. The visibility is good, but we need to always remind ourselves with this visibility that it's not just about trans people are not just a Hollywood phenomenon, whether positive or negative. Um, trans people, most trans people actually are... are lower income and have difficult prospects of finding jobs. Um, the other the other point I would bring to this is isolation. Um, trans people often face uh, very, very serious levels of social isolation, which has negative health consequences. But usually their families of birth, or often their families of birth, reject trans people because of the stigma. Um, and we also have to interact with a transphobic society when it comes to forming social relationships, friendships, romantic relationships. And the shame around association with us is so strong that um, most trans people are, are sadly very isolated. And that has its whole other um, slew of impact on us. And um, that's, that's part of hiding the tea. I mean, we, um, we are... I, I would say a, sub, a substantial number of people would be uncomfortable around a transgender person, especially a mm. transgender woman, um, even if their political views are supposedly, you know, are in line with progressive thinking. But when it comes to just a real day-to-day -day interaction, that will be that plays out very often. Misha, thank you so much for those comments. Very, uh, very well put. We're going to take a quick break right here, but when we come back, I want to continue our conversation. Also, want to hit on, you know, the uh, the the troubles within our own movement, our own community, and especially the progressive community, 
and mm-hmm. what we can learn from this conversation. So don't go away. Stick around, okay? Mm-hmm. Of course. We'll be right back. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought leaders. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining me here on the first day of February. I wish that, you know, there was such a thing in which the uh, the president would have to behave like a groundhog, you know, if it sees its own shadow <laughs> run to the ground or something like that. Um, that would be awesome. We're continuing our conversation with Misha Hader, who has a, an, opinion, an opinions piece that's featured on Truth Out, and we're talking about the stigmatization of uh, tra- the transgender community. And so I thought the second half we could talk about, you know, how this applies to the progressive community, too, because I think, you know, in this very critical moment in which we need to be united and coming together, it's very easy to lose sight of of being sensitive and or, you know, just being inclusive, uh, basically, um, as we organize. And so I wanted to hear your thoughts about even you know, the Women's March. I don't know if you participated in the Women's March, but um, there was some key messaging around that, that, you know, the Women's March was inclusive of all women and uh, including the LGBTQ community. But but then again, I don't know if the way that they had organized really reflected um, transgender people or if that was visible. Thanks. That's a great question. I, I agree. Um, I did participate in the Women's March. Um, I... My my, I supported it, and I do support it. I actually think it was um, there were there were errors there, definitely in the organizing initially. But I actually think it was it it was growing pains of the kind of intersectional feminism we're seeing now. And I I was 
it left me very optimistic. I think there was an effort to reach out to women of color. Um, after some criticism and some uh, initial um, oversight and transgender women, one thing that I do feel um, is very important for, for me, at least, to say is that um, I think that we can very well balance, because there was a lot of controversy among some trans women about, you know, uh, foregrounding the pussy and, you know, the pussy hats and the idea of um, vaginas equaling womanhood. And, uh, you know, I I actually, I, I applaud the women who did wear pussy hats, who, who did foreground that, because I don't think that is necessarily exclusionary um, towards trans women. I think we can understand, as long as we understand that we don't hold genital anatomy or any such uh, feature as kind of a metric for womanhood or, or, you know, decide that anyone who has a vagina is female or, you know, we can move away from that kind of essentialism while also understanding that some of, a lot of the violence is directed towards vaginas in, in our world. And I think that's what they spoke to is that, you know, the reproductive organs that many cis women have have been associated by misogynists with womanhood. And, um, and Donald Trump's offensive and outrageous remarks about grabbing pussies, um, I think that the, the, the statement that the women marching made who, who foregrounded that was actually a response to that. So I, I think that, that in itself, if it's understood that, you know, not all women have vaginas, um, not all women want them, or, you know, it's, you know, and not all people who have vaginas are women. That's, I think, the, the important thing to understand from the trans perspective. But I, I, I felt it was a really great, I, I thought the Women's March, it filled me with hope. Um, now, moving to other progressive um aspect, you know, the LGBT community, there is, of course, a long history of transphobia within our community. I think there is a tendency, um, I don't know, I've been noticing this, I don't know if us other people do, but I've kind of been worried that um, some of our, you know, leaders have traditionally been white gay men, and I think that there is a certain degree with the, with kind of the quote-unquote, gentrification of gay identity. Um, I, I wonder whether a lot of white gay men are actually um, sort of more comfortable um, assimilating with white cis male establishment culture and don't want to see themselves as part of a community that includes trans people. Now, this is just a generalization, and of course, but I do feel that that trend does exist, and, and many, many people who are in the LGBT community think, well, why should we, you know, we're, we're, we're on our way up. Why should we be held down by these, you know, strange trans people or these weird people who make everyone uncomfortable? So that's, that's a sad part of it. And, um, and the last point I'll actually make on this point is that, you know, many, many progressive people are transphobic. And that is important to note, um, whether it's off-color jokes, such as Bill Maher, um, you know, he has lots of problems, but, um, you know, his <laughs> comments about trans people, the idea that, you know, we're boutique, we have, like, you know, it's it's about, as I wrote in my piece, like, where we put on our mascara, that's, that's not what we're fighting about. We're fighting for trans children not to be bullied to death. We're fighting for, you know, the 40% suicide rate, attempted suicide rate to be decreased 
we're, we're fighting for jobs and health care and mm-hmm. just equal rights. And, um, and the only argument, uh, the only justification to exclude trans rights from any kind of progressive agenda is if, if people say that actually we don't think you, you matter as much as everyone else. So um, that's, right. that's my, that's my right. thought on that point. Yeah, thank you for that. And that is just, uh, it's so true. Um, you know, I brought up this potential executive order, or even if mm-hmm. there wasn't an, an executive order, I, I truly believe that this administration and a, uh, you know, Republican-controlled House and Senate would be interested in trying to pass, you know, some mm-hmm. type of religious freedom bill. Now, the religious mm-hmm. freedom bill, and you brought this up in your article, um, you know, an example of that is North Carolina's HB2, which mm-hmm. was very discriminatory, but especially discriminatory, uh, you know, directed and uh, at the transgender mm-hmm. community. As we are hearing these rumors that there possibly could be some form of a religious freedom bill introduced, um, you know, a lot of even the gay media or LGBT media is is kind of overlooking the fact, in, in my opinion at least, mm-hmm. that most of these religious freedom bills, as I said earlier, would first and foremost uh, impact the transgender community greatly, mm-hmm. which happens to be our most vulnerable of the mm-hmm. LGBT, right? And and so I wanted mm-hmm. to ask you kind of to elaborate on that because in, in, I think that falls in line with what you're saying as far as like mm-hmm. not being able to just say it. Like we're so afraid that people are going to turn their backs or not support um, yeah. the LGBTQ community if we set it for what it is. These bills directly attack the transgender community. Absolutely. And I think that is very true. And I think that, first of all, um, there's a lot of fixation, which is, you know, I, I am very supportive of same-sex marriage, and I think it's my fight, too, as it is, you know. But, you know, I think there's a lot of fear that people are like, okay, well, he's not going to overturn same-sex marriage, so the LGBT community is fine, few. Um, it's actually not so simple. And as you're right, the trans community is the one that's going to be in the firing line for two reasons. First of all, um, the religious right and the Republicans have exploited and will continue to exploit the fact that the public generally does not have a very trans-positive perspective. We are very easy to portray as scary, strange, weird. We should be kept away from children. Um, We're a threat. And so that kind of environment is very toxic for trans people and trans rights. And we see this in legislative battles, as I mentioned in my piece. You know, the, 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 when we suffered the setback with HB2, the governor-elect, who's a Democrat, who actually was, who won that race because of HB2 and the trans, particularly the trans reaction and support for him, did not mention the word transgender in his condemnation of the refusal to re- repeal HB2. And that is very typical. Uh, we we feel like, okay, we if we say transgender, it'll make people uncomfortable. Um, and whereas the right is screaming, you know, bathrooms, 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 and men in bathrooms, uh, when, when in little girls, and we're not, we're, not, we're not reclaiming the conversation. We're not saying, yes, this is about transgender rights. This is, these are the facts. These are, you know, transgender people are people. Um, 
they do not have to conform to your idea. You, you cannot legislate them out of existence because you don't understand them. And that, so we are basically giving up the, the discussion. And the, the LGBT community is also guilty of this, that we, we go to generally vague sort of language like this is about discrimination or anti-LGBT. No, it's, it's about transgender people and where we are told we can be and who we are told we can be. And um, it's life and death. It's our health care. It's, um, it's, you know, conversion therapy for trans children. So these are, as I, as I said, I mean, I think this, this, I think this administration is going to be very deadly for transgender Americans. Um, and, and I use that word deadly because I think that many people will die. Um, and that really upsets me. I think that the idea that, you know, non-discrimination will be kept, I think we will see a pushback where religious exemptions will be brought in, which will basically nullify any non-discrimination um, aspect, and trans people will be will be the, the first to suffer, because uh, school will say, you know, we, we have the religious, uh, you know, this is impacting our children, and we have the right to not have some strange trans person teach our children, or we have the right not to have a trans employee because we believe it's wrong. And so the public will, will, will be considered more fertile for transphobic arguments against protections. And, and that's, you know, that's going to impact us very badly. And I will also say that um, I'm very disappointed as to how little backlash there is about the, the, the recent uh, the nominee, Gorsuch, to the Supreme Court. Um, he may well, I mean, if he is confirmed, spell the end to the, the fight against LGBT discrimination um, through religious exemptions, first of all, because all these things will get challenged, and then they'll make it to the Supreme Court. And then if it's said that, okay, well, sincerely held beliefs mean you can discriminate, then any non-discrimination law or ordinance will be null and void and will create mayhem. Um but the other point, which is very clear, is that now trans people are facing challenges where we're facing sort of anatomical and even chromosomal essentialism, that people are saying, well, you're not, you're, you, we will tell you if you're male or female based on your chromosomes. And these are the kinds of arguments that are going to make their way up to the Supreme Court. And it will be very destructive for transgender identity if we have a Supreme Court that goes to this uh, biological essentialism, which is outdated medically, um, but you know, so we're basically handing medical and psychological decisions over to lawyers and politicians um, by doing this. So it will be very, very dangerous to the trans community. Mm -hmm. uh, the direction that this administration and Absolutely. the Supreme Court is, is going. Yeah. My last question to you is uh, really, you know, to wrap up your wonderful mm -hmm. article. Thank you so much for that. Is mm -hmm. just the dangers, you know, the the dangers of mm -hmm. our own progressive community not uh, being honest and and visible mm -hmm. about the diversity of our community, and that includes the transgender mm -hmm. community. Really, 
I mean, you know, I think that what that ends up doing is breaking us apart and then we Mm -hmm. are weaker. We're actually weaker. Mm -hmm. And you can't talk about women's rights if you're not going to include, you know, trans rights um, or LGBTQ rights. And you Mm -hmm. can't talk about immigration without talking about LGBTQ rights or uh, mainly, Mm -hmm. you know, the Mm -hmm. transgender community who are greatly impacted by, um, you know, high incarceration rates and also Mm -hmm. uh, who 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 come to this country, you know, to be more safe um, from wherever mm-hmm. they are at. Mm-hmm. So, yes, to wrap it up, you know, tell us, you know, what are, what, I think it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's very dangerous. I think it's dangerous for everyone, actually, because, uh, first of all, just from a, a practical point of view, it, it, it kind of balkanizes us into various little groups and, um, you know, well, I'm not fighting for that person. or We don't have this unified approach where we say we're all in it together. So it's dangerous. It's easy to it's easier to attack us uh, when we um, are not standing together. You know that's that's just a, a, a very very serious thing. But it's also dangerous at the point that you know I think that um, the, the gay community has it, we the momentum they're very strong headwinds um, to in favor of gay rights at the moment. Now it's clear it's hard to say how this will change. But I think that for us as, as, as a queer, a broader LGBT community, um, if, we, if one of us is targeted, first of all, it's, it's life and death for trans people. Uh, you know, with the refugee situation, there are transgender refugees. Transgender people are being, you know, killed in parts of the world who are trying to escape. Gay and lesbian people, the same. And I think if we don't, for instance, it's, it's not like, well, we care about gay issues, so we're not going to care about refugees. That's, that's, for example, an idiotic way of thinking, because it's, you know, first of all, refugees are also people, and our, our most compelling arguments are ones that call out to our humanity. And if we're not going to stand up for everyone, then, you know, it, 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 it defeats the purpose. But also, there are, among all these targeted groups, people in jail, um, victims of police brutality, um, refugees, immigrants, usually the most vulnerable category um, of them includes a lot of LGBT people and especially transgender people. So I agree, it's dangerous, and, and, what I, and that's why I repeatedly say, you know, people are dying and will die. It's, it's life or death if we don't um, really take action. And, and especially, I think we have, as a queer community, as an LGBT community, we have a great opportunity to, we all know what it's like to face um, sex, gender, rigid sex, gender binaries, whether we're gay, lesbian, trans, bi. We, we all know how oppressive, you know, patriarchy can be. So we, we have a lot of room to understand each other. And if we waste that opportunity, we're, we're putting ourselves and other people at, at a lot of risk. Misha, I want to thank you so much for joining us here today and for uh, offering your thoughts in your wonderful article that's fe- featured on Truth Out. Thank you. Thank you so much, Michelle. It was a pleasure, and uh, thank you for having me. <laughs> Don't go away. When we come back, the show continues. And I thought, you know, this might be good therapy for all of us is just to do a segment on checking in with people. How are you doing during the zombie apocalypse or the Trump apocalypse. Uh, I don't care. I know that's offensive to the president of the United States, but hey, you know what? 
He's got a thick orange skin, right? <laughs> Don't go away. We'll be right back. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on on Facebook. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. On the Progressive Voices Facebook page, we update the stories that our hosts like Tom Hartman, Stephanie Miller, Bill Press, and Leslie Marshall will be talking about during their shows. And we share great news, commentaries, opinion pieces, and videos from all over the progressive world. Always progressive, always on. Be part of the progressive conversation. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.ale. G-R-E-C-A-R-E dot com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, Guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. It's the first day of February, and uh, or the first day of the second month of 2017, which is the year of just shit. It's just shit. I don't really know what else to say. <laughs> it sucks. Or, or maybe it doesn't. I don't know. Maybe I'm living in my own, like, cynical world. And uh, maybe, maybe you guys have some something to offer me to keep it positive. And so I thought maybe that's what we'll do in the second half of the show is we'll call and check in on our friends so the first person I can think of who answers my phone calls <laughs> is my good friend, Marsha Levine. Marsha, welcome to the show. Hi, Michelle. Mar Marsha actually, you know, was uh, helping me book a lot of guests on the second half of the year last year. And we're going to bring her back on, but I'm just doing a lot of restructuring and uh, and all that good stuff. And just thinking about, like, how do I want the show to sound? And so this might be one of those things, Marsha, where you're just going to have to field for people who will answer my phone call to tell me how they're doing during this incredibly challenging time. So how are you doing? I'm doing better than I expected. Um, I was really depressed on the, um, the day of the voting and then after the election was over. And I... 
probably joined a lot of people in hoping that Congress would do something about the discrepancy between the electoral college vote and the popular vote. But when nothing happened, I just sort of slid right into a nice big depression and thought I would just ride out the next four years under my covers. Right, right. Um, I want to get snowed in or something like that, but I know that that can't happen. Uh, we have to keep going. We have to do what we do best, and that is be ourselves and, and, and go to work or, you know, take care of our children <laughs> and all that stuff. What, what, are, what, you know, just kind of personally for you, because for me, the immigration ban was really personal. I, you know, can't, I come from an immigrant family. Um, also, of course, the cut in funding for women's rights or reproductive rights uh, is personal for me. Everything that they've done so far, but maybe, maybe there are some things that are specific to you that has been the most, you know, shocking or upsetting for you. Um, I think what's been most upsetting for me is just watching one proposed appointment after another be terribly white male, terribly um, wealthy people, terribly uninformed people, um, not entirely skilled for the jobs they're being set up for, and knowing that these are also people who have engaged in what I would call hateful practices as well. And I, it's, it's, that's just been a nightmare for me watching all this stuff go, uh, all this, all these people come be put forward for consideration. Right. It's actually pretty scary with some of the candidates. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. Betsy DeVos, who doesn't believe in public education, but she will head the uh, you know education department for the entire country. <laughs> I mean, how do, how, I mean, obviously that that's a, a self interest appointment versus a qualified candidate. Right. It's it's probably one of the worst examples of presidential nepotism that I have seen in my entire lifetime i you know it's clear i'm I'm calling my friends most of my friends are going to be uh people who wish to not see president trump as president trump um but uh, <laughs> you know i i'm sure of it that in your world you have encountered family friends or or people who uh voted for donald trump what are you uh, are you hearing anything from from those types of friends or I, I just wonder if people regret their vote that's what I want to know uh, I, I must admit I know probably two or three people that likely voted for him but we wisely have agreed not to get into politics and that's mostly because I care enough about their friendships that uh, I really don't want this to get in the way because beyond that, they are good people. Um, so it's just one of those things where I guess we're going to have to agree to disagree as much as some p- people think that's sort of a cop-out stance to take. But um, I'm going to let love win over evil <laughs> Way to be positive. whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Love trumps hate. <laughs> yeah. um, 
Well, what about your social media feed? I know that some people are getting tired of the political posts, but it's like I rely on them. I, I love that people are now civically engaged and want to be a part of the conversation. Um, so, you know, how do you, you know, what do you, what do you feel? Like, do you feel it, it, social media is becoming way too political? Uh, you know, it, it was getting a bit heavy and a bit much for me um, immediately after the election and with the inauguration and and just seeing all this, the the these people he's bringing in, it was just becoming too much. But I will tell you, I've taken some um, Schadenfreude and what. I'm reading in things like the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, the Washington Post, uh, reporters um, and journalists who are are just sticking to it and bulleting everything that comes out, and it's it's been actually uplifting to become more informed and watch this. The sort of media weaponizing of of information that it actually gives me some hope that maybe there will be an uprising, maybe people will wake up, maybe Congress will say, "Hey, this is this is not where we want to go, who we want to be." Uh, lots of people are talking about how, you know, impeaching Donald Trump is not really even the answer because then it would be President Mike Pence and that might be worse for us. Um, I just feel I'm starting to feel helpless. I, and I know I'm, a, I'm really emotional and sensitive, by the way. So I get into this place where I just feel helpless and it's just doomsday. Um, <laughs> maybe you can My help me. Yeah, you know, my mother made one point when we were talking about the same subject, and I somewhat reluctantly agree with her. Um, she's, when we were talking about the impeachment or other possibilities that would remove um, Donald Trump from office, um, I said to her what everybody I know is saying, which is, yeah, but then we would have President Mike Pence, and her only comment to me was, yeah, but then you have a career politician in the position who might be more willing to listen to what his advisors are saying or um, or accept the the information and pressure from his peers to move to a more moderate stance as opposed to um, Mr. Unilateral currently making decisions in the Oval Office. Right. You know, I think that you're the perfect person for me to ask this, but one of the things that's come up since, you know, lots of different communities, diverse communities coming together to organize and protest is this conversation about race and, and uh, that that has been ongoing here in this country anyway. But there seems to be this, um, this I, I feel like this, a little bit of this attitude that if we're talking about an immigration ban, 
that like say for example the color based by the color of your skin you might not understand this issue so what i'm trying to say is that you know some people will just say that they'll go there and 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 kind of say that you know white people need to be held accountable for what's happening here and check their privilege i i want to go back to to hear your feelings on immigration and how you know being white doesn't necessarily mean you don't understand immigration what was yeah i'm sure of it you've got stories uh, as far as your own background and your family you know, everybody, you know, is going around saying we are all immigrants, and that may be true for a majority of the population. I come from an immigrant family as well. It may not be as recent as some people out there, but um, both sides of my family had to um, escape um, Eastern Europe and, and Russia, um, just prior to either just just around World War One or even before World War Two happened, and I'm sure that I have relatives that wound up in um, concentration camps as well that I will never know because they were executed. Um, so the kinds of things that I see going on definitely resonate with me, even though. Um, I'm I'm not a person of color, or at least until I have my DNA tested, I don't know. If I'm a person of color. <laughs> right, I know, <laughs> so I know. There could be some little hidden secret in there. Exactly, exactly. All right, well, let's wrap up and, uh, you know, tell me something positive uh, for today. I mean, even even if it's something you did, and you can bring a smile to my face. Well, the one of the positive pieces of news that I just read this morning was um, Jane Kim's, uh, Supervisor Jane Kim's announcements yesterday about the creation of the um, first historic uh, transgender district in the world, um, legally recognized, um, which is going to be um, around the um, in, it's going to be um, commemorated because of the Compton's cafeteria. So it'll be around the, the southeastern part of the Tenderloin and cross over to Market Street to include two blocks of 6th Street. Well, we are really cool here in San Francisco. <laughs> uh, Marsha, you know, keep it, keep it up. Keep up the positivity, and I'm glad you're doing much better. I think we will all do much better. We all just got to be good to one another. So be kind to yourself, uh, as Ellen DeGeneres would say, and I will see you soon. All right, Michelle. Thanks for giving me a call. <laughs> if you'd like for me to call you to check up on you and see how you're doing you can head to michellemeow.com and let me know. Don't go away right after the break. I have some final thoughts, and uh, we'll play a little clip from Ellen DeGeneres. Of course, you know, that's why I quoted her. So don't go away. I'm Heclina. I've been doing drag here in San Francisco for almost 20 years. And uh, over the past couple of months, I just opened up my club, Oasis. It's been going really well. People really seem to appreciate the space. It's something people say San Francisco really needs right now because the city has been changing a lot. I always had this attitude of, of opening a space that was kind of like for everybody and that's just kind of the attitude and the, the, uh, 
the ethics of Oasis is it's kind of a space for everybody. How does it feel to be a business owner? I don't know, you know, it's funny because I still need, I still have to kind of pinch myself to believe it's actually true, you know what I mean? Like I walk in there and, and I go up to the bar and I go, oh, could I please have a glass of water? You know, it's kind of like, I forget that it's my place. Running gay clubs, it's changed a lot. Um, I think that gay people now, they're everywhere. They don't feel like they have to maybe be in a gay bar all the time, so you have to be much more creative about how you are enticing people to come out to your club. I, I guess I'm successful because I'll just say it, I work really hard at what I do. I also like to provide a really quality experience for people. So yes, you know, people will pay to see my shows and pay to come to my club, but I always like, like to give them something that's worth it. The experience that they'll, they'll leave my shows going, okay, that was worth it, you know what I mean? This has always been my attitude. Um, just to entertain people and so it seems like that works, you know. I would say to young kids, you know, just kind of form your own identity and, uh, and you know, don't let others dictate how you should behave or think. Uh, you can always go to uh, sfoasis.com to find out about all the entertainment and nightlife that we have going on at Oasis. If you want to see drag, we've got that for you. If you want to see some queer hip-hop parties or queer dance parties, we have that for Spotlight you. Spotlight on success and achievement. Brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together we'll go far. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Happy first day of February. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. Thanks so much for joining in to this show. It's your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. Uh, I've never done this in the you know, 10 years that I've produced this show, but please make sure you share the show with, with everyone. It's voices from our community. And if you'd like to be on the show, you can head to michellemiao.com. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I wanted to play this clip of Ellen DeGeneres, and some of you may have already seen the clip if you're a big Ellen DeGeneres fan, but I thought she did an incredible job talking about in the immigration ban um, and, uh, you know, just doing it the Ellen DeGeneres way. So I'm going to do some clicking, look up for that particular um, clip and share it with you. Here, You are the only people not protesting something right now. So uh, thank you. A lot of protests going on uh, at the airports uh, over the, uh, all over the country, really, uh, because of the president's travel ban. At the airport in Los Angeles, there was chaos and confusion. Nobody could get in or out before the protests start. That, that was before. <laughs> if you haven't heard, this is what happened. Over the weekend, on Friday, the president gave an order banning people from seven countries from entering the United States, including people with green cards. And then on Saturday, the president screened Finding Dory at the White House. I don't get political, but I will say that I am against one of those two things. <laughs> uh, I, like I said, I don't get political, so I'm not going to talk about the travel ban. Uh, I'm just going to talk about the very non-political, family-friendly, People's Choice Award-winning Finding Dory. <laughs> now, of course, Finding Dory is about a fish named Dory. And Dory lives in Australia, and these are her parents, and uh, they live in America. And I don't know what religion they are, but her dad sounds a little Jewish. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Dory arrives in America with her friends Marlon and Nemo, 
and uh, she ends up at the Marine Life Institute behind a large wall. And they all have to get over the wall. And you won't believe it, but that wall has almost no effect in keeping them out. This is Becky. <laughs> She's not important, just a hilarious comedic element that makes a wonderful storytelling. Even though Dory gets into America, she ends up separated from her family. But the other animals help Dory, animals that don't even need her, animals that don't even have anything in common with her. They help her even though they're completely different colors because that's what you do when you see someone in need. You help them. That's right, you help them. If you see someone in need, you help them. That's Ellen DeGeneres. You should tune into her show. She's, uh, I think, the positive things in America right now. And um, uh, that's what we have to do is just to, to continue to be positive as much as we can be. The people in TV, certainly, I, you know, I think it's great that, you know, we've got this wide variety of people who have come out um, not supporting Donald Trump. Like, for example... Ashton Kutcher. SAG, AFTRA members, and everyone at home, and everyone in airports that belong in my America. You are a part of the fabric of who we are, and we love you, and we welcome you. We also welcome you to the 23rd annual Screen Actors Guild Awards. This is unlike any other award celebration because the complete focus is on actors, people who usually dislike attention. <laughs> We're honoring our peers for the brilliant work and that not only captured the imaginations of audiences but also stimulated us as performers. It's Ashton Kutcher. Um, had a lot to say at the uh, SAG Awards and many other, um, actually, many other actors and actresses had a lot to say. And so I, I feel like, you know, you're not alone if you feel this way. That's the good thing. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of work to do. Uh, and Rachel Maddow is hard at work. I mean, I think her show is more important than ever. Um, how about the president firing uh, acting attorney general Sally Yates over the travel ban dissent after she went over, you know, his orders and said she wouldn't defend it. Um, Rachel Maddow does a really good job talking about that. Been notified within the last minutes while we were in our commercial break there that the acting attorney general of the United States has just been fired. Uh, the president has fired the acting attorney general, Sally Yates. Um, let me tell you what's going on here. Jeff Sessions, Senator Jeff Sessions of Alabama, is the nominee to be the new attorney general. He, of course, has not been confirmed. He has not been sworn in. Uh, but we can't go for any length of time as a country without an attorney general, without a top um, law enforcement officer in this country. Um, Jeff Sessions is the first 
proposed cabinet nominee from the new administration uh, to start the process of being confirmed. His, his were the first hearings they held, but Democrats have succeeded thus far in delaying the process, slowing down the process for Senator Sessions. They've delayed even a, a committee vote on his nomination. No votes have been cast on him yet at all. The first ones will come tomorrow at the earliest. The Department of Justice, in the meantime, has been under control of an acting attorney general uh, who is an appointee from the Obama administration. You see her here in the foreground. Her name is Sally Yates. And Sally Yates tonight released a fairly dramatic statement saying that as long as she is acting attorney general, as long as she is running the Justice Department, the Justice Department would not be legally defending the travel ban and the refugee ban that President Trump ordered on Friday. She says she is not convinced that the executive order is lawful. She put out this statement that tonight that reads in part, quote, consequently, for as long as I am the acting attorney general, the Department of Justice will not present arguments in defense of the executive order unless and until I become convinced that it is appropriate to do so. All right, so that's where we were heading into this hour. That letter was sent tonight at about 6.30 p.m. Well, now, just moments ago, just literally minutes ago, um, the acting attorney general, Sally Yates, has been fired by President Trump. Sally Yates, congratulations. You have made history. Um, here's the statement. Rachel Maddow always well put and uh, does it right. So I like that she says, congratulations, you have made history. And... Um, don't be discouraged. Thank you for showing up for the American people. That's the show today, my friends. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, if you'd like to be a part of the show, head to michellemeow.com. Until tomorrow at 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time.